0: All right, Elijah uh, is our pastoral resident. Um, It's been a little different during COVID than we had first anticipated, but my goodness, this guy's incredible. He's got a heart for the Lord. Um, This is his first time uh, doing a full sermon live. The the first one you got to do behind the screen, which is kind of fun. fun. It is because you can stop if you mess up and you're like, oh, man, let me say that again. But this is live. This is real. Man, you're going to do great. Um, We've been praying a ton. We prayed already. So get after it, man about that and it's really cool to be a part of that so let's give a round of applause to the team who set that up really cool um so my highlight of my morning so far is megan saying what up homies and i'll just probably never forget that um so yeah i'm the pastoral resident here in northwest hills and we're gonna go ahead and get into the word um you can use your bible on your phone or you know however you want to do it but i'm just gonna start by giving us a little background here in the past few weeks, Pastor Josh has been taking us through a series, Pastor Josh and JJ, um, through called Relentless Pursuit. And this has taken us through the book of Exodus. This book is so fascinating, and it's chock full of application for us today. And it's also chock full of frustrations and setbacks and rebelliousness and unthankfulness and anger. But I know none of that have any application for us, so you can just ignore that. Um, I'm I'm an extremely squeamish person, and I mean intensely squeamish, uh, whenever blood is brought up. So I fainted at a dentist office. I fainted in a car, thankfully not at the wheel. And I fainted uh, at the HP campus here in town when I overheard someone talking about a surgery they had. Just, plop, on the floor, faint. And so I'm just really pumped that Josh gave me the passage about blood. (laughs) About turning rivers into blood, so I'm, you know, it's good. I just, you know, I'll have J.J. in case I start falling over just run up here. (laughs) Um, No, but I'm really excited about about the word this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this family. I just, as we were worshiping, it just felt, uh, just the reminder of one of your names, Emmanuel, God with us, Lord. And I just feel that you are with us this morning. I feel that you're with those watching from home. I feel that you're with those um, in Africa who are suffering right now, with the prostitutes that you want them to turn to you, Lord, with the people who are driving their cabs that they can't make money right now, Lord, that you just, you're with us and you want to turn people to you, Jesus, and you just want what's best for you, for your children and for your creation, and uh, just how it's, your creation is groaning, Lord, for you, and um, we just ask that you would open up your word to us this morning and help us to just fall deeper in love with you and to see what it has to say, Lord, And we pray this in your Precious name, amen. amen. so I'm going to start by reading the scripture this morning, and I would ask if you're able if you, if you would uh, stand with me. <clears throat> this is Exodus chapter seven verses fourteen. is where we're going to be reading today, and I'm going to read through the end of this chapter and and um, thank you guys for standing. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened; he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. As he goes out to the water, stand by the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far they have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking the water of the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, "'Say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and over the pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone.'" Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And the water in the Nile turned into blood, and the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank. So the Egyptians could not drink the water. The blood, And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days had passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, guys. You can take a seat. Now, I'd like to do a quick recap of what we've been going over, going over in the past couple of weeks, just kind of to bring us up to speed. I, I want to remind you guys that in Egypt, Pharaoh was not just some kind of a, a king. It wasn't just like a monarchy. It wasn't just a president. He, he was more than that. He, to, to the Egyptians, he was like a god. Um, some would call him the high priest of every temple. Although Pharaoh was a political leader, it wasn't his only uh, job. And he was probably the most powerful political leader in the world at the time. But that wasn't his, his only job. It wasn't even his most important job. He was also the religious leader. That's like if the Queen of England, when she was at her most you know powerful, was also the Pope. I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating how powerful this guy is. Now, he's a religious leader, and I read an article about ancient Egypt, and it says Pharaoh represented the gods of the earth. And that's not just Pharaoh represented Egypt's gods. He represented all gods of the earth. And so you have to think about just that power trip for a moment. Um, Pharaoh represents the gods of the earth, and here you have a slave, Moses, come to you, the representative of the gods, with a message from his god asking you to let his his fellow slaves go. Now, including the huge loss of labor, loss of time, loss of money, you have to think about how ridiculous this would sound to Pharaoh. Can you imagine the, the irritation that Pharaoh was feeling? So what did Pharaoh do? He says, let me tell you how things work around here you're going to work double, and also no. (laughs) You know, he's saying, you're not, no, you're not leaving. How about you work some more for free, and we're not even going to help you anymore. So that's what, that's where we left off there. And what happens next? God commands Moses and Aaron to be his spokespeople. I love that that's like the next thing. It's like, Pharaoh's on his power trip. No. And then God's like, how about Moses, who doesn't even feel comfortable talking in front of people? And he commands Moses and Aaron, and He says, go tell Pharaoh, all the Egypt shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Do you see what kind of a storm is brewing up here? In one corner, we have Pharaoh, the morning and the evening star. In the other corner, the God who fastened the heavens, the God who made the stars, who calls them by name, and the God who can put princes and rulers in their station. He can take them out whenever he wants. Do you feel the tension mounting a little bit? So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go in the morning. He'll be out in the water. So I'm just kind of recapping this. And he says, I have a message for Pharaoh. It is by this, and this is a quote, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with my staff I'll strike the water of the Nile. Now, if you remember from last week, Moses and Aaron performed a miracle in front of Pharaoh. But it's interesting to note, just an interesting thought, that when Pharaoh, um, excuse me, it's interesting to note that um, that miracle wasn't, it wasn't a direct command from God. He said, go and perform this miracle for Pharaoh when he asks you to perform a miracle. He says, when when you go over to Pharaoh and he says, I want you guys to kind of prove yourself, uh, then this is the response and the staff turns into a serpent, Right. So the first miracle was a response uh, to Pharaoh's inquiry, but the next miracle is a direct message. This one is a direct message to Pharaoh, and it's very specific. It's like a surgical miracle or plague that God is commanding for a very surgical reason, and it's going to prove a point. And that point is, by this you shall know that I am God. And Moses and Aaron, they did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. And they struck the water. It turns the blood all over. There's blood all over the place. It literally says that. And Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. And he would not even listen. And Pharaoh turned into his house. He did not take even this to heart. You guys with me? So God has given a direct message to Pharaoh and that it is, I am God. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be on the end of this direct message. Uh, this is pretty crazy. I mean, this is the God of the universe saying, I want you to know this, that I am God. And he works this miracle of turning the Nile into blood, and besides being absolutely terrifying, I just want to ask, what are the implications? Most people know that Egypt was a pantheistic society. And, uh, what that means is that they worshiped multiple gods, so it wasn't just one god, which is a theistic society. Um, the Egyptians paid homage to gods of war, gods of sex. They paid homage to gods of agriculture, the god of the sun, um, who we call Ra. Um, and all in all, the scholars conjectured that there was about 2,000 gods that the Egyptians worshipped. So, you know, think about today, if that was the case, it would be, you know, God, the god of TikTok, the god of, I don't know, like, uh, vans, shoes, and, you know, I don't know, some, all, those, all those different things. But they, they worshipped a god for almost everything, is what I'm trying to get at. Now, if you've seen pictures of Egypt, particularly from above, you'll notice a couple of things. Uh, Egypt and, I mean, the continent of Africa that Egypt is in, it's, it's primarily desert. So it's really dry land. But uh, in Egypt, there flows this beautiful river. I mean, absolutely beautiful river. It's called the Nile, and it's uh, multiple channels that flow out. You know, it's big, and then it splits up into multiple channels that flow out to the Mediterranean Sea. And the Nile serves as a massive advantage to these people. It's one of the main reasons that they're such a powerful nation. So it's so important to them that they essentially worshipped it or more the gods that protected it. So there's, there are gods who were born from the Nile. There's gods who give from the Nile. There's the god who created the Nile. There's the goddess who, you know, gives abundance from the Nile. So uh, basically what is happening here is that by turning the Nile into blood, blocking its ability to provide hydration, food, and commerce— God is directly defying the gods that the Egyptians worship. There's a few other implications of this miracle as well. The Egyptians were no doubt under the impression that because of their wealth, their social standing, their gods and their place in the world, that they had a particular advantage over the other nations and over all of the nations. They must have assumed that. God is pointing out to them that he and he alone has the power to make a nation great or small. In the book of Job, we have this marvelous description. Job says, he makes the nations great then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then he leads them away. I want to read that again. It's a very interesting uh, passage here. He makes the nations great, then he destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then he leads them away. By this miracle, there's a message being relayed to the Egyptians that they really aren't all that powerful after all. In fact, they're at the mercy of the God of the universe. Take a quick drink of water here. Now, I want to talk briefly about the counterfeit miracle that Pharaoh's magicians performed. There's a few different camps of idea. So there's some people who said, who who would say, you know, there's sleight of hand involved in in the magicians' miracles. And there's some who would say that Satan was behind these miracles. And there's some who would say that Moses is just playing with the big boys now. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, my homies who love uh, Prince of Egypt. I tried to say that to Josh, and he was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I'm like, Josh, are you teaching from the Bible or from Prince of Egypt? I mean, okay, no, really. Um, so, uh, no, so, you know, there's a couple different camps. And I just want to clarify, um, family, that it's not super consequential. It's, you know, if you think it's sleight of hand, you know, that's that. And if you think it's Satan, that's that. And it's not a church-dividing issue. It's it's not you know, I'm, So I'm just going to continue with um, what I extrapolate from this text, but it's not a super huge consequential issue. Um, but I personally believe that Satan is kind of behind these counterfeit miracles. And uh, Pharaoh's magicians are dipping their, their toes in the dark arts. So if you're like me and believing that those works are of Satan, then there's a valuable lesson in us for, for this, uh, this time. We see in the story that the magicians simply repeat this phenomenon, that, um, but not, not to the extent that God had performed this miracle. The real miracle would have been to turn the blood back into water, right? Yes. I mean, yes. so, yes, yeah, thank you, guys. I, that would have been the miracle, right? But what do they do? They just turn some more water into blood. And how is that helpful? The only result of this counterfeit miracle was the apathy of Pharaoh. I'm going to say that again. The only result of this counterfeit miracle was the apathy of Pharaoh. If Pharaoh's magicians couldn't crack this miracle, we see later that they won't keep up with the plagues, then Pharaoh might have portrayed a stronger conviction. Maybe he wouldn't have. So I just want to uh, create a little scenario here. Picture with me for a second a bright young college student doesn't know Jesus. This young student gets invited to a college mystery night by a dorm roommate. This person, uh, they go. They go to this ministry night. They feel moved. Uh, they feel a sense of love from community. Let's say this young person feels a conviction towards God, but they're not ready to make a commitment towards God. The next day, in their university class, um, they're telling a co- uh, not a coworker, but they're telling a, a fellow student about their night. At maybe it was crew ministry. You know, maybe it was um, real life ministry. And they're you know, and the professor overhears and he says. He just freaks out. He goes, you got to stay away from Christianity. I mean, it's completely false. And I just want to let you remind you guys that this is a real scenario. I mean, people, professors in classes these days, Oregon State, Boise State, anywhere you go, they're going to be spitting in the face of God. Now, Now the student is faced with a decision between conviction for God and the narrative of society pulling him away from God realistically and unfortunately, all it would take for this young student to turn their heart away from making a decision is to go home to turn on a five-minute Bill Nye video that says Christianity is fake, and that would give them exactly enough buffer to walk away from that decision. Now, all it takes is a small lie and a counterfeit Um, To create enough buffer between their heart and the decision for God and that's exactly what's happening here with pharaoh He takes one look at the magician's farce work miracle and he walked away The scriptures say pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take even this to heart now I just, I, there's a lot more scenarios that this applies, and I was just thinking this morning how we live in the Pacific Northwest, and it's, so, it's just beautiful, isn't it, you guys? Isn't it just beautiful out here? I was sitting in my office, or I was standing with my podium practicing, and I was staring out the window, and I saw a mother doe and two little fawns. Thank you. Two little fawns, they're literally that big, probably just been born a couple weeks ago just kind of trotting behind, and I just thought, God, you are so good. I mean, this is so beautiful, and if you walk up to Chip Ross, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a sunrise um, up on Chip Ross before, but it is breathtaking. It just makes you want to cry. It's just, God, this is unreal, and, the, and Psalms 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth proclaims his handiwork, and I just think how so many people will go up on Chip Ross and watch the sunrise and think, "Wow, this is majestic. This is beautiful," and then they'll go back down and maybe see, you know, hear from a professor or read from a book that, "Oh, this is all a happy coincidence." You know, enjoy it while you have it because you're not going to have an afterlife. And then that's just enough for them to keep going through life and not making a decision after the person who created this this beautiful landscape. You guys following that? Yeah. Now, the devil loves to counterfeit the things of God. It's all over our world today. God gives his law by which we can live life to the fullest. If you would like a happy marriage, love and serve one another. Be gracious. Remain faithful to one another. Respect each other. If you want fulfillment, follow him. Uh, Be generous. Now, the enemy loves to counterfeit and cheapen these feelings a lot. So if you want peace, try cutting people out that, that disrupt your peace. If you want a good time, just sleep around, abuse some substances, abuse alcohol. And he even works in slimier ways than that. And, and those are pretty obvious. We know, oh, yeah, that's, that's not good. You know, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do drugs, sleep around. But how does the enemy work in you know, more counterfeit ways? How about the self-love movement? Self-help books can make people feel really, really good about being a very selfish person. How about some, and I emphasize some, of the social justice movements? destroying property, bullying people, and hurting people to push an agenda that's about equality. That's a very sly little counterfeit, isn't it? Is there merit to social justice? Oh, yes, that Jesus was the, the most just, most loving, most caring people. He, yes, he's about the one who's lost. Yes, he talked to the woman at the well who no one would have talked to. And I just want to say yes, I want to affirm that. And is there, is there merit to self-help and self-love? Oh, yes, of course. You know, God made you in his image. And if if your image of yourself is less than that, um, I would just encourage you to look at how God loves you. But when those things become a God in and of themselves, it's merely a counterfeit. It's fake. It's a fool's gold God. Do you want to know how how you can tell if something is a counterfeit? Get to know the real deal. Okay, so I work as a bank teller. My dad worked as a bank teller when he was my age, and he, he's been telling this to me. He was uh, a youth pastor, and so he taught this all the time. And um, by the, How you know something is a counterfeit is by touching and knowing and feeling the authentic. When you touch and smell and observe and behold the authentic version of anything, you will not be deceived by the fake. Now, you know, I'm counting cash every day, and and... If something, you know, someone printed on their HP desk jet comes across my hand, I'm going to go, that doesn't feel right. And if, you know, if I was just touching uh, counterfeit bills every day, I would have no clue how to decipher between what was right and wrong. But when you guys get to know the real thing, when we get to know the real thing, we're not going to be fooled by uh the counterfeits so pharaoh mistook the real thing for a lie he took one look at the magician's imitation and that's all it took for him to forget the wow factor of what had just happened it's no wonder why the antagonist in the end times is dubbed the antichrist when speaking about the end times jesus spoke to his disciples saying if anyone says to you look here is the messiah or there he is do not believe it for false messiahs and false prophets will appear. They will perform great miracles and wonders in order to deceive even God's chosen people, if possible. Listen, exclamation point, I had told you this ahead of time. Jesus is saying, please don't be deceived. Don't, don't, don't let people tell you, oh, there he is, there he goes. He's saying, you guys get to know the real thing, know your shepherd's voice. And I think, listen, uh, if we as a church want to be unfazed by the deceit of the enemy, and the enemy loves deceit, we just need to know God. We need to know how God works. We need to know how he loves, how he works. We don't need to know how Satan works all the time. We don't need to know, oh, he loves to do this thing. You know, we just need to know God. And as soon as something, whether it's pride or whether it's the enemy comes in, you know, that's not God. As soon as you hear something that, that doesn't sound right, you can just turn to the Bible and say, oh, it's not right. I'd like to take a second to hash out what the narrative is implying. I think one thing the Spirit would like us to take away from this text is that he is God, that God our God is the Lord and Father of creation. If Egypt needs to know that God, who God is, then how much more do we? We, tend to be, we can tend to be a people who forget who the Lord is. In Proverbs it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. How do we foster this fear and understanding of God? By knowing him, by loving him, by plumbing the depths of his word. Then we will decipher between right and wrong, counterfeit and authentic. And then and only then we will live a life and live it to the full, as Jesus said. Now, if we take a look around us today, our world and our country, you'll notice a few parallels for us. Uh, When Moses first went to Pharaoh with the message from God, Pharaoh's response was, "'Who is the Lord that I should obey him?' And God's response to Pharaoh is to show him exactly who the Lord is. The Lord, God, is showing Himself to be powerful above all. He's showing Himself that He works through people, even um, slaves. He works through people who are outcasted from society. And up until this, this up until this point. Egypt dwelt in an excuse me. Egypt dwelt in an almost Eden-like society. Me and, and JJ and Josh were talking about this, and it's just like a perfect little society. It's like they've got their water, they've got perfect commerce, they've got safety, they've got beautiful architecture, and it, and it's just it's a beautiful little place. If, if you see pictures, um, you guys should Google it sometimes. You see pictures of the Nile, you see just greenery, just kind of exploding out from where it flows. Um, now Egypt only turned to worship the blessings themselves rather than the God who provided them. And I want to draw a parallel from this story into our world today, specifically our country. We live in one of the most abundant places in the world, if not the most. And we have such an abundance of food and water and safety that we almost never have to be anxious about it. Um, and we almost, have to, almost never have to be anxious about anything. Yet here comes 2020. Gotta love it. <laughs> the year of COVID-19. And our comfort and wealth and economy is threatened, and a lot of us feel pretty confused, even me. And I want to take this time to che- just just check our hearts. Have, have the things uh, become gods to us? When things we have are threatened, what is our response? Have we fallen into the worship of a good economy, a full belly, and a comfortable living? Or are we worshiping the God of whom Job cried, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, that's the response I hope we all have. And I just want to say, I've been in Northwest Hills just for a short time, but it doesn't take long to know that many of you experienced a lot of trials. A lot of you as a church have experienced testing, and your response was to turn to Jesus and worship him. And I just want to say, guys, that's so beautiful. There's just nothing as beautiful as turning to Jesus when there's trials and worshiping him. And I just want to say, good job, guys. That's awesome. And I just, I just love that about this family. For the Egyptians who lived in such a a place of peace and wealth, this miracle of turning the Nile into blood meant such a shift of what they knew, it was no small thing. As for the Hebrews, it had seemed like they could never catch a break. 400 years in slavery, the killing of their children, and now their work was doubled. The correct response for these people would have been to turn to God and say, Lord, I know that you have a plan for us during this time. I think the correct response for us right now during COVID is, Lord, I know you have a plan for us during this time. For the Egyptians, it might have looked like, Lord, I'm sorry for worshiping other gods. I know that you're the true God. If you're struggling with trials and your own sets of bondage, I would urge you to come alongside a brother and sister in Christ and tell them that you need prayer. I urge you to come to Jesus and worship him no matter the circumstances. I love the mom, the uh, home ministry. It's like that. It's coming alongside other moms and saying, you know, I need help. I can't do this by myself. I need prayer. It's like coming along in community groups and saying, "Hey guys, this is what's going on." And if you if you relate to the Egyptians and you feel shocked and confused by the change from normalities and comforts, that's that's where I'm at. Uh, just go to Jesus and tell him your worries and your anxieties. He loves you and he knows you and he cares for you. And I just want to say I love you guys. And I'm honored to be going through these trials. And I, I won't even quote it. They're trials. But I love to be going through these things with you guys because it's such a joy. And Jesus said, Count it all not Jesus, Paul said, Count it all joy when you go through trials and perseverance or persecutions. And um, I love you guys so much. I'm just gonna close this out in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this for this day and for the honor of of just being your church family, Lord. We just lift up um, this family, we lift up those around us, and we ask that you would help us to just um, be keeping our eyes out for, for those in need, Lord, and, um, help us, uh, to just take from your word, from what you're teaching through the book of Exodus, Lord, and speak to our hearts, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.